0: Episode 91 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on December 6th, 2018. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. Remember, remember, the 11th of December. Game Update 510 goes live next week. We're headed to OSIS. In Jedi Under Siege, we say goodbye to the Eternal Alliance. I'll take a look at some of the winners and losers from the Knights of Story. Also on the State of the Old Republic, BioWare updated us on the state of the galaxy heading into 510. I'll tell you about that and a whole lot more on today's show. And with that, it's time to make the jump to lightspeed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 91 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. I've been talking about Game Update 5.10 for weeks now, Bioware has held two live streams about it, and you've probably checked it out on the public test server. Well now it's here and I thought it would be a good time to recap everything that's coming in the latest game update for Star Wars The Old Republic. Let's start with Master Mode Gods from the Machine. The big news is we're getting everything all at once. No staging of bosses. Now, if you've been struggling with Veteran Mode and even Story Mode, there's good news for you. Both of these difficulties are getting nerfed now that there is a true Master Mode. If you find yourself hitting a wall with Master Mode, there's the new Masterworks gear to help your group get over the hump of these challenging bosses. There are two levels of gear, Artifact Quality 252 and Legendary Quality 258. You'll be able to craft this gear, which, if you can gather the mats, will be the fastest way to obtain it. Remember that some of the mats are exclusive to Master Mode Gods from the Machine. You'll also be able to purchase the gear from vendors located in the OSIS Daily area. You'll need to have the 252 gear to purchase the 258, and all of the gear will be tied to the new OSIS Reputation. Once you get rolling, Eric Musco said that players will likely be able to acquire a minimum of two 252 pieces per week or upgrade one 252 piece to 258. With a little luck, you might be able to do better than that. Now, if Master Mode Gods from the Machine isn't your thing, you can always focus on conquest and leveling up your guild. Although there isn't a level cap for guilds, there are no benefits for going beyond level 64. That said, don't expect to get to level 64 right away. There is a weekly XP cap to keep those big guilds in check and keep you from getting all of the perks in the first couple of weeks. If you want to take advantage of the new guild perks, your guild will need to have a guild ship. Because of this, the cost of buying a guild ship is dropping to 8 million credits. Leveling your guild will happen primarily through Conquest, which is undergoing a few minor changes in 510. If you want details on the guild leveling, the guild perks, masterworks gear, and conquest changes, I encourage you to check out episodes 89 and 90 where I get into the details of all of these features. The one piece of content I haven't spent much time on is the new story, Jedi Under Siege. Last week, Lana Benico released Alliance Intelligence Summary 495-22, which contained information on the current state of the galaxy. What was interesting about this report is that there are two different versions of events. Now before I get started, I want to issue a spoiler alert. I'm going to get into details about the report and the differences between each version. This report also contains spoilers for the storyline that began on Iocath. If you haven't read it or played that story, I'll give you a moment to get to safety. As I said, there are two different versions of events. One is if you sided with Jace Malcolm and the Galactic Republic on Iokath, and the other is if you sided with the Empress Essena and the Sith Empire on Iokath. Now, for the most part, the state of the galaxy is the same regardless of choices made. Take the Hutt Cartel, for example. According to the report... The Huts have steadily gained strength in recent years, culminating in negotiating an amicable nullification of the treaty the Republic imposed on them in the aftermath of the McKeb debacle. Recognizing the opportunity presented by recent food shortages, the Huts offered a staggering donation of foodstuffs to the Republic in exchange for exiting the treaty on peaceful terms. The Hut responsible for brokering the deal, Brogol, has risen to overall leadership of the cartel, invoking an ancient tradition he has selected his own title and styles himself the sovereign magnet under brogel's leadership the huts have largely largely shifted their business interest to focus on gambling spice and related entertainment investments while reducing though not eliminating their interest in the slave trade and territorial holdings Nar Shadda is once again a bustling neutral zone of galactic trade, with the Republican Empire locking down their supply chains and resources in preparation for war. The Hutt's vast smuggling and trade networks may soon become the galaxy's best and most reliable pipeline for commerce and logistics. I don't know how much the Hutt cartel will factor into the story, but I wish SWOTOR was more of a living, breathing world and these changes would be reflected when I traveled to Narshada but that's a topic for a whole other day. Getting back to the report, likewise for Zakul, circumstances on that planet are the same for everyone. Here is what Lana reported. Independence from the fallen ruling family has done little to improve Zakul's prospects. The degree to which Zakulan society relied on Valkorion and the eternal throne becomes more apparent day by day. The comforts and advancements of their daily lives were supported entirely by vast automated systems like the Eternal Fleet, plundering a constant wealth of resources from countless unheard of worlds across wild space, with none of their people any the wiser. No one questioned the source of the Eternal Emperor's bounty. They merely celebrated the apparent generosity with which he shared it. Without their former support systems, Zukul's new government has attempted to establish diplomatic and economic ties with the core worlds. Understandably, this has not been very successful. Few worlds have been eager to trade away more of their resources to the planet that demanded those same resources at the point of a knife so recently. As a result, the Zukulans' only support has ultimately come from a small consortium of corporate interests. It is my personal suspicion that many of these corporations are actually fronts for the exchange criminal organization, though our agents' investigations are still ongoing. I found this to be utterly fascinating. In Chapter 3 of Knights of the Fallen Empire, you have this conversation with Lana. Arkan does nothing to prevent violence between them, so long as their tribute is paid and no one challenges their cool superiority. What does Arkin use the tribute for? Zakul doesn't seem to need much. A question no one else seems to ask or answer, not in any detail. Zakul's empire spans a sizable portion of wild space, but not enough to consume the resources they're acquiring. I've been working to learn the answer myself. It was presented as a mystery that I was expected to be solved during the course of the story, but we never got a good explanation until this report, which explains everything. Additionally, this report speaks volumes about the complex nature of Vitiate and the question, question, do the ends justify the means? I'm going to table my thoughts on this for a future episode. Now getting back to the report, the state of the Jedi Order is also the same despite the different branches in the story. According to Lana, information on the status and whereabouts of the Jedi is still difficult to come by. A token presence remains on Tython, they claim to be the last of their Order, but frequent encounters with other Jedi across the galaxy suggest that this is patently untrue, and perhaps part of a larger effort to obscure the Order's current numbers. If there is a functioning Jedi Council, they are entirely hidden. The most likely individual to be involved in renewed Jedi leadership, Satil Shan, appears to no longer have any connection to the Order's operations. Rumors suggest that she has begun to train her own crop of students in a hidden academy on Coruscant, but our agents were unable to confirm or disprove these rumors. Based on intelligence we've gathered, I believe the Jedi recognized the possibility of their order being destroyed by the Eternal Empire and chose to decentralize themselves to better their their chances of long-term survival. Elaborate conspiracies have never been a Jedi strong suit, so I suspect they are merely biding their time until circumstances call for them to unite once more. Now, where things start to differ is with the Galactic Republic and the Sith Empire. According to the report, war against the Eternal Empire of Zakuul took a heavy toll on the Republic, and infighting between hardline supporters of former Chancellor Suresh and more moderate voices held up recovery efforts significantly. With Suresh's very public downfall, the moderates eventually gain control of the Senate, which is now led by Chancellor Galena Rons. Now, if you sided with the Republic on Iocath, your version of the Republic looks like this. As a veteran and the spouse of a former Supreme Commander of the Republic military, Rons has deep ties with the military. With the ongoing support of the current Supreme Commander, Jace Malcolm, Chancellor Rons has successfully strengthened the Republic's strategic positions across the galaxy. Resource limitations continue to be an issue, however, so while the Republic is well-positioned to defend its territories, its ability to redeploy its forces for offensive campaigns is limited. If you sided with the Empire on IOCath, the outlook for the Republic looks like this. As a veteran and the spouse of a former Supreme Commander of the Republic military, Rons has deep ties with the military. However, the recent death of Jace Malcolm and subsequent Republic loss on Iokath has limited her influence and given fuel to opposition voices. As Rons struggles to appoint a new Supreme Commander, her opponents have cited ongoing resource shortages in order to limit further military spending, weakening the Republic's overall strategic positions across the galaxy they will be ill-equipped to hold their territories against Sith invasion. In short, if you sided with the Republic, then they are in a slightly stronger position going into Jedi Under Siege than if you sided with the Empire. As far as the Sith Empire is concerned, if you sided with the Republic, Lana reports that, although the Sith Empire also suffered heavy losses in the war against Zakuul, Darth Asina's solitary rulership allowed her to direct her government's resources more efficiently in the aftermath. As a result, the Imperial fleet is now numerically superior to the Republic's, with superior troop numbers to match. Efforts to integrate non-humans into the military have been unexpectedly successful, further replenishing the Empire's ranks. The loss of Asena on Iocath has not reduced these impressive personnel in warship counts, but it has altered their deployment. Essena's replacement, Emperor Valron, is well known as a cheerful and skilled participant in the schemes and treacheries common among high-level Sith. With him in charge, those in positions of power are watching their own backs more than they did under Essena's rule. As a result, they are moving their forces more conservatively, afraid to overcommit and leave themselves vulnerable. This could provide opportunities to the Republic that might not have existed otherwise. Before her death, Empress Essena consolidated the Dark Council to five seats, presumably to lessen infighting and streamline decision-making. Emperor Valron has made no move to alter this change. The current seats, their occupants and spheres of responsibility are Sith Doctrine, Darth Anathel, Military Command, Darth Krovos, Scientific Advancement, Darth Valora, Civil Administration, Darth Shar; Galactic Influence, Darth Zerion. If you sided with the Empire, then Lana reports that, although the Sith Empire also suffered heavy losses in the war against Zakul, Darth Asena's solitary rulership allowed her to direct her government's resources more efficiently in the aftermath. As a result, the Imperial fleet is now numerically superior to the Republic's, with superior troop numbers to match. Efforts to integrate non-humans into the military have been unexpectedly successful, further replenishing the Empire's ranks. Combined with her successful campaign on Iokath, Asina's hold on the Imperial Throne is absolute. The coordination of the Empire's forces is similarly impressive. Asena's low tolerance for schemes and betrayal has created an atmosphere where Sith no longer concerned they'll be stabbed in the back by rivals and their commanders are more willing to commit themselves fully to their deployments. If Asina is successful in maintaining this new status quo, Her forces will be able to move very aggressively into Republic territories when war breaks out. As part of her efforts to lessen infighting and streamline decision-making, Empress Asina has consolidated the Dark Council down from 12 seats to 5. These seats, their occupants and spheres of responsibility are Sith Doctrine, Darth Anathel, Military Command, Darth Krovos, Scientific Advancement, Darth Malora, Civil Administration, Darth Falron, galactic influence Darth Zerion. It seems to me that the Empire's position is less precarious under Darth Valoran than the Republic's position without Jace Malcolm. Under Valoran, the Sith just seem to act more like Sith. In other words, just another Tuesday for them. In fact, overall, other than some names, the state of the galaxy seems to be pretty consistent despite the choices that we made. That said, I'm pretty sure that we're going to see two very different storylines in Jedi Under Siege. Branching stories is nothing new for Star Wars The Old Republic, and for the most part players don't seem to mind that there are multiple versions of the same story. One group of players that hates it when the facts are wrong but the story is true are the role players. Charles Boyd took to Twitter this week to address some of the concerns from the role-playing community. Here's what he had to say. Hey everyone, since I've been answering a number of questions from role players lately, I want to take a moment to clarify my intent in giving these answers the TLDR is don't let anything I say keep you from having fun with your friends role playing whatever you like. It's our job on SWOTOR to tell an ongoing story, thus many details of how the galaxy works are nailed down directly in the storyline. Other details are things we have in mind but aren't shown directly. That second category is the kind of stuff I usually speak to here. Since we have to establish certain things as true or canon for our storyline, there's always a potential of conflict occurring between our version of things and the stuff players have been roleplaying and creating for themselves. I do my best to minimize this in my answers. That's why I tend to speak in general trends and likelihoods, not, this is the only thing that ever happens, the end. I'm 100% supportive of roleplayers deviating from the established facts of our storyline if they want to. If folks want to roleplay fully within the established story, that's cool too. If everyone involved agrees to it, go for it. But using my answers to enforce some kind of macro-level roleplay law on anyone and everyone roleplaying is ludicrous. So please, take my answers as off-the-top-of-my-head information they are, and use, modify, or ignore them as you like when roleplaying. And above all, be awesome to each other. Supportive, welcoming, and encouraging communities are what make games like SWOTOR great. I don't roleplay beyond naming my characters and finding them cool outfits to wear in-game. I tend to stay away from silly names and wearing bikinis on Hoth. It just seems to me that this is a very hard game to roleplay. Once you get past the eight class stories, everything starts to funnel down into a single story with one hero. While there are different iterations within each story, it's just hard to imagine where other players might fit in with the already crowded cast of characters. I would think that if you are role-playing, you almost have to do it at a broader level where you are truly making up your own story. I think Charles has the right idea here. Do what you want and have fun doing it. Jedi Under Siege marks the end of the Knights of Story arc. As we say goodbye to Zakuul and the Eternal Alliance, I wanted to take a look at the eight classes and see who the winners and losers were in this epic struggle. All of our heroes ended up in charge of one of the greatest alliances the galaxy has ever seen, and they defeated one of the most dangerous villains the galaxy has ever known. Considering where each hero started, and where they might have hoped to end up, not everyone came out ahead. Still others achieved glory they could have never dreamed of. Let's start with the Republic, and let's start with someone who I think was a big winner in this story, and that's the Smuggler. The Smuggler started out as a small-time gunrunner trying to eke out a living in the seedy underworld. In the course of defeating Rogan the Butcher and the nefarious Voidwolf, the Smuggler earned a reputation to rival that of epic crime lords like Draen. Perhaps the only thing better than leading the most powerful criminal organization is leading the most powerful legitimate organization. As leader of the Eternal Alliance, the Smuggler used their contacts, reputation, and guile to shape the fate of the galaxy, all with complete autonomy. The Smuggler pulled enough sway to recruit powerful members into the organization like Hilo Viz and Nico Okar. If there's one hero I can think of that will truly miss the Eternal Alliance, it's the Smuggler. In the loser column, there's the Jedi Knight. I know the Knights of Story is the culmination of the Jedi Knight's ultimate destiny. Destroying the Sith Emperor once and for all is what the Jedi was born to do. The Jedi Knight was also the consummate knight, a shining symbol of the Jedi Order, and yet the Jedi's journey pulled the knight further and further away from the Order. I can't help but feel that the knight would be happiest back with the Order, sitting on the council and watching young Padawans train to become powerful knights. By contrast, I think the Jedi Consular was one of the winners here. While I wouldn't call the Consular an outcast among the Jedi Order, the Barcenthor Thor just seemed to rise above it. In many ways, the Eternal Alliance was the Rift Alliance on steroids. It was a natural step up and a perfect fit for the Consular. The last hero of the Republic is the Trooper, and I also put the Trooper in the Loser column. In no way was the trooper a fish out of water leading the Eternal Alliance, but there's just something cool about leading Havoc Squad. I remember that moment in Fallen Empire when the trooper meets the new Havoc Squad led by Eric Jorgen. I couldn't help but think, that's my squad. It should be Jorgen, Dorn, Ewan, Vic, and Forex, and I should be leading it. Moving on to the Sith Empire, the first big winner is the Sith Warrior. As the Emperor's hand, the warrior answered only to the Emperor himself. I dare to say that at times the warrior was more loyal to the Emperor than the Empire. When the Emperor's true nature was revealed, the warrior's position in the Empire became somewhat untenable. The journey to face his former master and preside over the Eternal Alliance, which carried sway over the Sith Empire, is a powerful position well suited to the free agent nature of the warrior. Another winner is the bounty hunter. As an honorary Mandalorian, running the Eternal Alliance is the closest the bounty hunter will ever come to having their own clan. The hunt for the Sith Emperor was greater than any bounty found on the Blacklist. The bounty hunter may not have had the Force as an ally, but they were more than suited to lead the Eternal Alliance against Valkorion. Now, as far as the Imperial Agent is concerned, I could go either way here. In many ways, the Agent lost when Imperial Intelligence was dissolved. Everything that transpired after that point moved the agent further and further away from their chosen profession. When I think of a spy, I think of someone who covets anonymity and likes to work in the shadows. Leading the Eternal Alliance is the exact opposite of that. The last of our heroes and the one who I think is the big loser in all of this is the Sith Inquisitor. The Inquisitor started as a lowly slave. Their destiny was to challenge the norms of the Sith and rise to power within the Empire. The Inquisitor overcame one challenge after another, often without the support of the Empire, ultimately earning a seat on the Dark Council. Depending on your choices, either Darth Asena or Darth Balren sit atop the Sith Empire today. I can't help but feel that that seat should belong to the Inquisitor. The Inquisitor should be leading the Empire, not making alliances with it. If there was an ultimate destiny for the Inquisitor, it was to become head of the Sith Empire. And there you have my winners and losers coming out of the Knights of Story. I can't wait to see where the journey takes us next. Star Wars Celebration Chicago is still a few months away, but I have some exciting SWOTOR news to share with you regarding this event. SWOTorista is arguably the hardest working fan in all of SWOTOR, and thanks to her efforts, the SWOTOR fan community has been officially accepted as an exhibitor at Star Wars Celebration. During the event, we will host a fan table on the show floor. I say we because I, along with others, will help man the table during the show. We'll be there to answer questions from newer returning players and to just hang out with existing players. And if that weren't good enough, we'll be handing out free stuff. Head over to SWOTORFanCommunity.com for all of the details. And as we get closer to Star Wars Celebration, I'll be sure to get SWOTORista on the show to talk about this great event. Is it April yet? And final note for today, I was watching DC's Legends of Tomorrow recently. One of the new characters on the show is played by actor Tom Wilson. Now, I recognized him as the actor who played Biff Tannen in the Back to the Future movies, but as I was listening to him, I thought I heard something familiar in his voice. I did a little digging, and sure enough, Tom has voiced various characters in Star Wars The Old Republic. Most notably, Gellerin from the Bounty Hunter story. I'm sick of excuses. I'll feed all you worthless slugs to a rancor if I have to. You hear what... Excuse me? Hey, nobody just walks in here, huh? Nobody. Nobody. I'm a bounty hunter, hunting the Eidolon. Interested? The Eidolon? What? You're kidding me, right? No. Tell me you're kidding. You're... you're not kidding. All right, I'll bite. Boys, hey, get out of here. Get us some refreshments. The Eidolon did some work for us, you know. He could kill anybody, anywhere. This guy was unbelievable. Does he have a real name? Never met him in person. When you do that, you die. The cartel always communicate with him via holo. But then at the top of his game, the Eidolon announces he's getting out of the assassination business. Opened a security company. Suddenly, half the corporations here were clients of Eidolon Security and were no longer paying the Hut cartel. And on that note, it's time for you to make like a tree and get out of here. And that's the State of the Old Republic for today. Let me cut in the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 91 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is sotourpodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SotorPodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions, too, at sotarpodcast, or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for Episode 92 sometime next week. Until then, remember the Sith Code, take is a lie.